This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Hello, I'm Alison Larkin, writer, comedian, narrator, and host of The Jane Austen Podcast. Join me as we embark on a journey through Austen's timeless stories, starting with Pride and Prejudice. The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. There's no family like the Bat Family. It's episode 442 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and Gotham Knights is finally here. You know, with video games, it almost feels like it takes forever for the story to finally get here, but it is here now. Maybe you've been playing it already, and I actually got a chance to talk to one of the designers of the game, one of the, one of the narrative director of the game, Anne LeMay, and America Young, who plays Batgirl, got to talk to them at Comic-Con, and some other stupid, that audio got missed up, so apparently you're not going to be able to hear that, but I will give you part of my conversation with Sloan Morgan Siegel as well, who I talked to in a previous episode. We'll mix that all together and talk some Gotham Knights for you this week. I'm also going to give you my review of Tales of the Jedi now that it's on Disney+. Plus. We can talk a little bit of spoilers for that as well. And yeah, there's been some huge, huge DC news to come out. I'll give you all my opinions on that, and if you don't know the news, I'll get you up to date on everything that's going on. But first, hey, let's go ahead and jump right in and talk Gotham Knights with so many amazing people. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is voice actor Roger Craig Smith, and you guys are listening, you lucky people, to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. And we're back. Feels like this is a game that's been a long time coming. Gotham Knights finally available wherever wherever video games are sold on your favorite platform. And at Comic-Con, I got a chance to sit down with some of the creative minds behind the game, also some of the cast as well. I will say that some of, some of my audio didn't really come out, but I did manage to salvage an interview with Anne LeMay, who is the narrative director of Warner Brothers Games Montreal, and America Young, who plays Batgirl in Gotham Knights. Actually, the first question in the, at the roundtable that I attended for them was, you know, why should people... Be excited for the game, and here's what they had to say. It's been a lot of fun to work on, and we have four main characters, four different kinds of gameplay, so you can choose whichever you like best. You can indulge into narrative of the character you like best. There's a lot of choices you can make here that are really custom-tailored to different types of players. 
The next question was about combat styles and if we'll see a difference and if it'll be a different set for each character and Anne had a really good answer for that as well. Different combat styles for each of them, very different. That's why these characters were chosen because they're different to start with, but also unique animation sets per character. Unique skills and abilities per character. Everything is customized. When a question finally got around to America Young, she got a chance to talk about how she was not just the voice of Batgirl in Gotham Knights. I did a lot of the performance capture as well, and with my stunt background, I picked up some tonfas and started to actually learn that. There is someone who's doing like the full-on stunt, really cool stuff, but it absolutely affects the way she moves. She's an athlete, and that's going to be different movement in her in her performance capture. But then also when I'm doing the voiceover and we're doing all the grunts, I've been hit a bunch, so I know what that feels like and how to make that a realistic thing. And I've punched a bunch of people, so I also know how to make that sound real. Did I mention amazing when we were talking about her? When I got around to asking my question, I wanted America Young to tell us a little bit more about her Batgirl. So speaking of which, we've seen a lot of versions of Batgirl over the years. How would you describe your Batgirl? Our Batgirl. I like to think of it as, you know, Voltron. There's a bunch of different things that go into creating each of these characters. But our Batgirl is always the adult in the room when she's dealing with all the other knights. She's got the sense of humor. She's got the intelligence. She's got the strategy. There's a lot of very familiar things about her, but just the earnestness and the sincerity is what I try to bring to her. We know that the relationships between the Bat family can be pretty rocky at times, so America Young talks about how that starts off for Batgirl in Gotham Knights. At first, really rocky, and that's part of the beauty of it, is that they, these are not, this is not an origin story. All these characters know each other. All these characters have their very own, very different history with each other, and so that is part of the growth of each of the characters, is learning how to come together to fill this void after the death of Batman and work with each other, whether they like it or not. Kind of piggybacking off of that a little bit, she talks about who her, one of her favorite characters she's paired up with in the game and I, I, this one seemed a little obvious to me. I have a lot of fun with Nightwing. The way that our characters are written together, the history of that girl in Nightwing, there's a lot of fun stuff going in there and then Christopher who plays Nightwing is also hilarious and did a ton of squats to prepare for the role. <laughs> so you know his head is in the right spot, space. So somebody tried to make a comparison to the Arkham games at the roundtable here, and Anne was quick to kind of say, you know, well, we're not the Arkham games, and here's what we'll, you'll find out in our game, Gotham Knights. We have a fully explorable Gotham City. It's a city riddled with crime that you get to engage with, as well as a storyline about, you know, focusing on the Court of Owls that you also get to explore when you want. You can choose what you want to do. If you want to do the main story, if you want to do the side content, it's not side content, if you want to do the crime in the city, etc., etc., you've got a lot of choices. I thought this was a great question to Anne LeMay and America Young talking about if any comic stories were used to kind of guide the story for Gotham Knights. And I wasn't really surprised by the answer based on what we'd heard so far. We used the Court of Owls uh, from Scott Snyder, which is a fantastic story. Um, obviously, it's a comic book format, it's a linear format, but it was a great foundation for us to, to build a layer to make this into an interactive narrative experience, right? But also, look, my, my team loves these characters, our actors love these characters, but we read as many comic books as we could get our hands on. We read the, the, the you know, like Grayson for Dick, and then we read Batgirl of Burnside, but we also read like a lot of stuff who didn't stick to one, right? And also, my, my writers are fans of the characters, and I had one writer per character who owned that voice, who owned that story, and kept it consistent throughout the game. That was also interesting. One of the journalists asked about, you know, are certain characters fit for certain missions and things like that, and I thought Anne's answer 
was a really good one. This, so if you were wondering about that, this should give you the answer you're looking for. So depending on how you want to play in your pace play style and what you think is easier or not, you can swap characters to play a mission, and maybe you want to go and just you know hit things, or maybe you just want to go and sneak around. Or but every character offers you a different way to play through a level. But you can also go. I want to experience the story of this character and just stick to one character for all of it if you want. But you can't swap out in the middle of it as you yeah. go. Someone asked America Young what she brought to the Batgirl role that she wanted to make the character different. And you could tell how much America Young loves the character of Batgirl based on her answer. It's so hard because I've loved every version of her that it's hard to think of myself as trying to make her different. I don't necessarily feel the need to like make her my own. But the thing that I've loved, that I'm pulling in the traits that I've loved about her through time. So her sense of humor, her intelligence, and her earnestness and sincerity in every moment has been the things that I've always responded to, to her through everything. That's all the time we had at the roundtable with Anne LeMay and America Young talking about Gotham Knights. So since I, I got some of my other audio was messed up from the roundtable, I thought I would take probably part of this since the game's out now. I thought I'd replay part of my conversation with Sloan Morgan Siegel, who actually plays Tim Drake, Robin, in Gotham Knights. So if you didn't get a chance to hear that in episode 382, maybe you're listening now because Gotham Knights is finally out. So I want to replay some of my conversation with him talking about that character as well. Let's actually talk about Gotham Knights for just a second because sure. it's, it's a really interesting story. I mean, it takes place after the death of Bruce Wayne. So, I mean, you're a longtime gamer too. I know that. So how excited were you to kind of be a part of something that really hasn't been done before? And that's saying a lot about DC. Well, as a fan of DC, clearly, it, it blew my mind because these are characters that have long been deserving of a spotlight. To step into the shoes of these characters is like, really cool as as a gamer but then and, and as a fan of everything but as like now playing one of the characters i mean it's a dream come true i mean you could not have picked a bigger fan <laughs> to play the character so i i did all the research necessary and i'm trying to do it as much justice as i can it, pun intended i guess yeah it's it's a dream come true i mean, I really think that he's gonna be awesome i think tim drake's such an interesting character too because he's in, he's just as intelligent as he's skilled as a fighter. So, I mean, it's also a fan favorite too. So that there's a little something that comes along with yeah. that. So how I mean, did you, I would say, yo, sorry, go on. How did you approach playing him actually? Because I mean, not a whole lot of people have. I, I, I looked at all the source material and I looked at who he was as a person and I looked at the material they gave me and I kind of tried to make all one, one big marriage of it all. So obviously he's, he's, well, I think in my opinion, he's the best Robin. Right. Like you could say Dick and Jason are like great Robins, but but they're not. They're great Nightwing. They're great Red Hood. Um, like but Tim is like the Robin. Uh, and then obviously Damien comes into the picture, but I'm not a big fan of Damien. <laughs> it depends on the iteration, honestly. I just wouldn't but, say that to Damien, of course. But, you know. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Kill me, but <laughs> but uh, anyway, no. So so as as, a, as approaching the character, um, I tried to keep him as youthful as possible while not making him stupid, because obviously he's super super intelligent and while he may not get most you know social cues because he's too busy being in his head he's I'm not excluding that youthfulness um so so he's definitely still a kid but he takes his responsibility seriously and he takes the mantle of Robin seriously just as he does in the comics let's talk about this then not and not even necessarily really related to the game itself because we've talked about there's been multiple Robins and you obviously picked out who your favorite Robin was but what's your favorite kind of Robin Robin dynamic like is it like man i really love it when when you get to play uh, off of like red hood and tim drake or you get to play off of you know for, for dick grayson and tim drake do you have a I, favorite I love, like robin interaction 
Yeah, I love getting to play off of Stephen O. Young, who's redhead. I love I love getting to play off Stephen. It's 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 really fun. We we have a lot of cool stuff. So if you want to listen to the rest of that interview and or the full interview, you can go to episode three eighty two of the Down and Nerdy podcast. That's where you'll be able to find that. But just so many great characters involved in Gotham Knights, and again, getting to focus on the Bat family. Batman, part of the story, but not in the story necessarily. Well, I, well, I can't tell you who's in the story and who isn't. I'm certainly not going to spoil anything for you, and I haven't played the game yet, so I can't spoil it for you if I want to. But this is just one of those ones where I looked at it and I was like, you know, this is such a great story for them to be able to tell, and I really am glad they get a chance to do that, and you get a chance to have an open-world-style game at the same time to be able to do that too. So I think that that is really, really neat. So you can get Gotham Knights for whatever system you like. I don't think it's on Nintendo Switch, though. I think that's the one that it's not on, but get that wherever video games are sold. Again, thanks to Anne LeMay and America Young for joining me at Comic-Con to talk about Gotham Knights. And, of course, Sloan Morgan Siegel. I want to thank him again as well for talking to me several months ago about the game. Up next, going to give you my spoiler-filled review of Tales of the Jedi. It's now on Disney+, and we're talking about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. This is Vanessa Marshall, voice of Gamora on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy and Hera on Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Another Star Wars tale has hit Disney Plus, this time an animated one. Tales of the Jedi now streaming on Disney Plus has been for a few days now, but I wanted to wait a little bit to give my spoiler-filled review of this. And again, not going to drop a ton of spoilers, but I want to drop just enough to be able to talk about this. In depth, so we have six episodes here. There are about you know fifteen minutes ish a piece, which I thought was a was a really good way to go. And I want to talk about a couple things that they did really right. First off, and that's bringing back the Clone War style animation and kind of setting this in that world sort of thing. I thought that was really really smart. Of course, you know, just hitting the fans and the feels right, and then you add on top of that, bringing back Ashley Eckstein as Ahsoka Tano, and then you bring back the Ian, Ian McDermott as, as Darth Sidious, Matt Lantner as Anakin Skywalker, you bring back Phil Lamar, you bring back Clancy Brown, he's the Inquisitor, and just you, the list goes on and on and on. I could go through all of these names, but that's just not productive. But then you hear Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon, and you're like, whoa, hold on a second. This is amazing. So automatically, you're drawn in by that, right? Because this is, you know, this is a nostalgia trip that's automatically going to make you smile regardless. So the, right off the bat, that's a really, really smart thing to do. And I like that we get a little bit of a deep dive into Doku and you get a deep dive into Ahsoka Tano as well in a little bit of a, a younger state 
anyway, or at least in the beginning. Here's the problem that I had, though, and it's a very small one, and I'm going to nitpick a little bit, and I kind of feel like I have to. The very first episode where you've got Baby Ahsoka, which I thought was a great, great episode to start things off with, and you get to see her and her village and her upbringing and her strong bond with her mother, which I thought was so incredible. So you get that episode. It ends that you find out that she's a Jedi, and you go, okay, so, okay, what's next? Well, then you go to the Doku story. And I'm like, hold on a second. Okay, so we're going to go back and forth, right? No, they they did the like the entire Doku story. And then they came back to Ahsoka Tano in the final a couple of episodes in 5 and 6. And part of me was like, you know, I know that you're probably trying to go in chronological order here. So I kind of understand that in, in one respect. But in the other respect, I'm like, you know, I kind of would have liked to see more of the Ahsoka Tano story and then rolled on into Doku, and I don't think that would have confused anybody. I don't think that would have made it, you know, any worse or more difficult, anything like that. And so I kind of wished they made it a little bit more linear in that regard, because even the Doku story was good, and I'm not saying it wasn't, I still find myself drifting over to, I want to get back to the Ahsoka story. And I think it would have been the same either way, right? As if they would have done it one way or the other. And then I would be like, oh, well, I want to get back to the Doku story. I think part of the problem with that was because that first episode was so good, so solid, so strong. And I felt like it set a tone. And then you took the tone away by going to a different story. So if I'm nitpicking it at this at all, that is the one thing that I will nitpick about it. But it, but it also didn't take away from my enjoyment of it either. And I want to talk about Doku's story for a second. Because you get to see him, you know, with Qui-Gon and, and being his his master and, and Qui-Gon as Padawan, and I really, really enjoyed that part. But what you find out about Doku is, first of all, he becomes disillusioned with the Jedi. You kind of knew that already, right? But you also get to see that he formed an attachment to Qui-Gon, and he kind of wanted him to be protected in this whole deal, right, with, with, with Darth Sidious. So you, you knew that they were in cahoots, but he wanted Qui-Gon protected, and, again, and instead... Darth Maul was, of course, murders Qui-Gon in, in, in Phantom Menace. We know that. But Darth Sidious was, was upset about that. And, you know, that's why Jedi don't form attachments, right? That's one of the teachings. So automatically, he's going against the Jedi way. But you, I don't think it was like a slow descent for Doku, right? Because you kind of see that he always had that little bit extra edge to him that made him, you know, susceptible to the dark side. Just kind of like with Anakin, when you saw the Anakin's upbringing and you saw little bits of pieces here and there where you go, okay, kind of see how he got to where he got to end up becoming Darth Vader and end up going over to the dark side. And well, part of that too was he was easily manipulated and he was an emotional, emotional guy and that was a huge part of it. But you kind of see similarities there a little bit to Doku's story, and to Anakin's story, of course, Anakin's magnified by about a million, but you sort of see the two connections there and seeing how this affects Qui-Gon and seeing how this affects the Jedi Council and the feelings about the Jedi Council in general. Just very, very interesting, if you ask me. So I thought that that was a very successful story. And then you go back to Ahsoka's story and you sort of see like she needs a break from the fight. She just can't take it anymore. And you understand that, right? And I thought that episode six was probably the best episode of the bunch. You get to see her. She steps away for a little bit. You know, Belagrana doesn't want her, her, her to go. She does. She kind of takes a, a simple life 
And then she realizes that, you know, you can't really have that simple life when you're a Jedi. Is something is going to find you. Again, parallels to Obi-Wan here. Obi-Wan wanted to have a peaceful life. He wanted to get away from it all. What happened? The fight found him, no matter what. The Inquisitors found him, just like they found Ahsoka Tano. So again, parallels there. And I don't mind that you have these parallels either. I think it's interesting because it kind of sets a tone and it sets a precedent, right? So you get to see that this happens not just to certain Jedi, but almost all Jedi across the board. So I don't know if anybody else drew those parallels. I certainly did as I was watching this thing, and I thought there was a lot of great character work in this. Again, Clancy Brown is the Inquisitor. I just, how can you not have that, right? That, That was incredible for me in just a short stint. Again, in that sixth episode, I thought that worked out so incredibly well. You know, getting D. Bradley Baker in the mix and getting a little Bad Batch, you know, vibage in there, I thought was really, I thought was really smart. But just everybody involved in this did such a great job. And, and I it would have given it like a, if I, if I did give scores, because I don't do that anymore, I don't give rating like scores, like stars or anything like that. If I did, it would have been a 10 out of 10 if, if I wasn't taken out of it just a little bit by how they structured the episodes and how they released the episodes. But again, I know you're yelling at me thinking, really that, that's the thing that's going to keep you from giving it a perfect score? Well, guess what? You guys give it an 8.7 out of 10 on IMDb, so I don't want to hear it. <laughs> you didn't give it a perfect 10 either, so I don't want to hear it. But I, again, Tales of the Jedi, I hope that this is something we kind of get more of. I don't want to get in, inundated with it either, but I really do hope that we get more of these stories focused on different characters. And I think six episodes was perfect, three episodes apiece. I thought that was kind of all that they needed. And I'm curious to see where they might go with this next. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Tales of the Jedi, which is now streaming on Disney Plus. Up next, there's some nerd news and some big, big nerd news. And we'll get to it next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Dave Bazoos from Gotham on Fox, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. DC stealing all the headlines this week. It's time for nerd news. And I was going to do these in order of when they happen, but I think that since one takes a huge precedent over all the others, I'm going to start with this one because there is a new head or new heads, I should say, of the DC universe. That means TV, film and animation. And it's James Gunn and Peter Safran. And it's funny that it's James Gunn because I was actually going to say either on social media or on one of the podcasts from there trying to figure out who the hell was going to do this. James Gunn was a name that popped into my head. And I know I can say that now because it's actually happened and maybe you don't believe me, but I was thinking to myself, you know, why why not James Gunn? They seem pretty confident in what he's done so far. They seem pretty happy with him. The fans seem to love him for the most part. So, you know, why not give that a shot? Instead of trying to dig up a name that may may or may not want to do this, why don't you get somebody that's already passionate about the brand? And, I mean, Peter Safran's certainly no stranger to DC either. He worked on Aquaman. He worked on Shazam. It's not like... He's a complete stranger to what's been going on. These are people that know this brand have had success in this brand. Now, why not see if they can continue that success? As a matter of fact, you're going to have Gunn, who's going to focus on the creative side, and Safran's going to focus on the production side, business, things like that. I'm sure that their heads will come together on certain things. My only concern about this going in was, okay, if you're going to have co-heads of everything, because you know I've certainly been in this situation before, where you've got co-heads, and it's like, well, you know, are they always going to agree 
on everything? Probably not. And who's going to win out and who's not going to? At some point, somebody's going to need to make a decision when the two of these guys don't agree on something. And how is that decision going to be made? Now, they've worked together well in the past. I'm not saying that they can't, and I think that they will. But it's going to happen at some point, and it'll be interesting to see what the end result of that is, or even if we know what the end result of that's going to be. But I think the two will actually balance each other out quite nicely, too. So I think that this is nothing but a good thing for D.C. at this point. And if you're going to have a fresh start, which I think that they're kind of half-assing a fresh start at this point. It's like they want one, but they don't want one. I certainly think that on the TV side, you have more of a chance of getting a fresh start than on the movie side. And maybe you don't need to completely fresh start the movie side anyway because you do have some things that are working and some things that are already coming up that, that are pretty big. So I, what tweaks get made and how long it takes for them to get made, I think is the really interesting part of this thing. But I just at face value, I like the move. I'm surprised that James Gunn wants to do this actually because you know this might take him away from being behind the camera for a lot of stuff. And I know that's something that he really, really loves to do. And I'm hoping that that itch doesn't take him away from this job if he's successful at it. And I, and I really, really do think that he will be. We've seen how smart he is about casting and things that he's done already so far. So this, if there was a pair that it has a chance to work with, I think it's these two. And probably the best decision that David Zaslav's made so far as the head of Warner Brothers Discovery. And hopefully this one pays off in a big way. Before I get to a couple of things that were announced after this pair were announced, I'm going to go to something that happened before that. And that's Henry Cavill returning as Superman. And boy, I got to tell you, this, by the way, the, the James Gunn story and Peter Safran, that was the Hollywood Reporter that first reported that. This one reported by multiple outlets and confirmed, by the way, by Cavill himself. And Dwayne Johnson said he's been fighting for this for years. You know, you had the cameo in Black Adam. That kind of gave you hope. I talked about that last week. And now that hope is in very quick fashion become a reality. And Henry Cavill never gave up hope. And he said that in his comments after the fact. And remember where the comment he made, you know, seems like forever ago, where he said the cape's still in the closet? He really, really did want to return to this role. And it seemed like for a while he wasn't going to get a chance to do that. And people were critical of Henry Cavill as Superman. I certainly thought he had his ups and downs as Superman. But at the same time, he looks the part. And I think that he's grown as an actor since he's first taken the role of Superman. And maybe taking a break from that role was one of the best things that he could have done because he's really just kind of expanded his abilities since then, I think. And I think that this will actually make him an even better Superman of the future because he always looked the part, but there was always a little something missing in the presentation. I think that this is going to be the true Superman that we were hoping for from Henry Cavill in the first place. Now that he's been gone for a little bit from the role and coming back. Plus you have to have a greater appreciation for it, right? It with something like this happening. And this is partially because of fan demand too. I think fans realize that criticized Henry Cavill at first that, you know, hey, he was a better Superman than we thought. And maybe it's one of those you don't know what you got till it's gone sort of things. But now that he's back, they're they're searching for writers for, for a sequel. And I don't know that you really want to directly follow up Man of Steel, but I don't know that you really want to reboot the thing either. I think that it's going to depend 
on what happens coming up with the Flash movie and, and a couple of other things that are already underway to see exactly how they can... Pre- we don't know how this universe is going to proceed until the Flash. And remember, that was seen by the previous regime. So whether or not that creative vision is even going to be executed at this point, who knows? As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be completely certain about the Flash movie with these two taking over because I know that Saffron and Gunner are going to probably take a really close, hard look at that movie and see if it's the direction that they want to go. But Henry Cavill being a name that you know you've got already as your future Superman, that one is really, really big. And who their Batman's going to be, who knows. But right now we're talking about Superman, and this one has a chance to be special for years and years to come. I really have a good feeling about this return. How about the Green Lantern series? That certainly has been, there's been a lot of excitement for that, for the HBO Max series from Berlanti and company. Well, they just lost their showrunner, and that is Seth Graham Smith. And it's really not a huge surprise because this project has taken forever to get off the ground. But we do know now that it is going to focus on Jon Stewart. Again, it's one of those it's about time type things. We've not seen Jon Stewart in live action that I can think of. We thought that John Diggle was going to fill that role in the Arrowverse. That didn't end up materializing. So I can't think of a time where we saw Jon Stewart as Green, Green Lantern in the live action unless I missed a random Smallville appearance somewhere and I'm just not remembering it. Jon Stewart is a great lead character as Green Lantern. As a matter of fact, when I was at the press room in, at Comic-Con for Green Lantern Beware, Beware My Power, the animated movie, which, which was led by Jon Stewart, all the creative team could say is how great and how deep Jon Stewart's story really is. Now, there will be other lanterns in this thing, but knowing that it's going to be led by Jon Stewart, it, you, it will be put in a refreshing new direction for sure. And I think that that's one of the things that you're looking for under this new leadership is refreshing new directions for things. It may be resurrecting things that, that should have never been taken away in the first place. So bravo to them for doing this. And no, nobody knows who the new showrunner is going to be at this point, but I don't think it'll take them too long to find a replacement. I think Green Lantern's a property that could be something that is just so, so amazing. But Budget-wise, you have to kind of watch out for that too, but... This one has a chance to be great. And I think that they're going to make sure they've got the right person for the job on this one to make sure that that gets that vision gets executed. And and I can't wait to see who they're going to cast as Jon Stewart. That Arkham, the the Arkham Asylum series that seemed like it was dead in the water is now being resurrected as well because they have a showrunner. Antonio Campos of The Staircase is going to be the new showrunner for that series. And this is when I really hope they dig into the depths of Arkham Asylum itself. Not just name-dropping Batman villains and giving us a bunch of cameos and things like that. I want the in-depth of what goes on in the day-to-day at Arkham Asylum. And maybe you're thinking, ah, that's boring. Is it? We're talking about Arkham here. There's a lot of stuff going on behind those doors that we don't get to explore. And there are probably other patients there that we may have never met. Arkham is huge. You have no idea who else could be in there. And that's also something that you could find super interesting. And if you want to throw a couple name villains in there or something, or even heroes, or even 
you know, if you want to make Hugo Strange a part of it, be my guest. I don't care. Just give me a more in-depth look at Arkham Asylum. Maybe even do, you know, the early days of Arkham Asylum as well. Maybe even Dr. Arkham himself will be a part of this. I'm, I'm curious to see where they decide to go with it. But I think that this is, if you do it, again, I've said this already a few times. If you do it right, this is something that could be very memorable and very special. But there's a lot of ifs there. And, you know, now that we have the new leadership, it's, there's, there's, you gotta, there's some prove-it time to be done. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. All this great DC news, though, really stole the spotlight from the fact that we got the first Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania trailer from Marvel. That's going to be coming out on February the 17th of 2023. And you basically see the whole family get sucked into the quantum realm. You get Scott Lang and Cassie, they, they get sucked in. He's also got Hope and the rest of the Van Dynes, they get sucked in there as well. And remember, you know, Mama Van Dyne is the one that has been in there already. And she knows that there's some funky stuff that goes on in the quantum realm. And you want to talk about visually striking. The quantum realm certainly seems like it's going to be that. And I think we're going to get some very unique characters and maybe even some very unique cameos and even variants, for lack of a better word, in this thing as well. How far they're going to go with that, I don't know. I don't know that they need to do a whole bunch of that. I think that they could stick to their story. And then you enter Jonathan Majors' Kang. And you see just how much of a master manipulator he's going to be in the MCU. But I think you balance that with the, with the thief himself and the criminal mind of Scott Lang. And how much can he manipulate Scott Lang? Or is he going to be able to see through the BS because of his own criminal past and is a little bit of his shadiness for lack of a better term. I think that the battle between Paul Rudd and Jonathan Majors on screen, the verbal battle is going to be worth the price of admission for this thing for sure. Plus you, you get the interesting part of quantum and the fact that this is going to kick off phase five. They know they've got something Marvel does in Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum They know they don't, you're not going to have this one kick off phase five unless you've got a reason for it. They know that they've got something here. What it's going to be and how it's going to materialize, that's the interesting part of this whole thing. But we're going to have to wait till February to find out. The next trailer that Marvel decided to drop was for the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. That one's actually going to be coming on November the 25th. So you're going to get that a little bit early on Disney+. And this is another one of those Marvel Studios Presents titles like we saw with Werewolf by Night. So that's already got me excited based on how good Werewolf by Night was. And yeah, you've got, you know, the Guardians cast is a part of this thing and you're seeing them go down to Earth to try and make a perfect Christmas for Quill because he's, of course, missing Gamora. He's been down in the dumps lately. So they're trying to find them the perfect gift and, you know, get him in the holiday spirit. Turns out the perfect gift is Kevin Bacon. Now, like literally Kevin Bacon as himself. So... Kevin Bacon, in the most Kevin Bacon of ways, is going to be playing Kevin Bacon in the MCU. So the next time you play the Kevin Bacon game, you could say Kevin Bacon as Kevin Bacon in the MCU. And I never thought that I'd see the day for that. And that is just, again, something from the hilarious mind of James Gunn that would do something like that. Although Quill would freak out if you met Kevin Bacon. There's just no question about that. But I think that, you know, seeing the whole gang get in the holiday spirit, could be really, really fun. And just the way that the, the, 
the silliness of this whole thing is what I'm really looking forward to. And, you, you know, you're going to get the heartstrings tug out a little bit in any holiday special, I think. So hopefully Quill does find that perfect Christmas and, you know, becomes the Quill that we know and love a little bit more. Maybe he just won't be as sad as he was. But, man, I think this is going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait. We've also got The Independent, which is a new movie coming to Peacock on November the 2nd. We haven't heard a peep about this until now. Kind of sprung it on us. And it's a political thriller. And the reason I'm talking about this is it looks really interesting. Plus, John Cena going to play the independent candidate in this in this movie. And we didn't get a trailer. We got a clip, which I thought was interesting. This this basically deals with the final weeks of a really big presidential election. You're either going to get your first female president or the first viable independent candidate to be president. So, and those characters played by Ann Dowd and John Cena respectively. Now there's a young journalist played by Jody Turner Smith who's going to play a huge role in this movie. She's teaming up with a legendary journalist that's her idol played by Brian Cox and there's some sort of conspiracy that's going on that it, that has big consequences on the fate of the election in the entire country. And it just look the 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 clip is so intense. You don't get a trailer. You get a clip first, which is not usually what you see and you don't normally find out about stuff like this at the last minute either by the way so it's interesting that peacock decided to go that route to bring this movie out and to promote it but now elijah kind of hit it heavy for a few days here and find out what's going matter of fact this show will already you know the movie will already be released before we get to the next episode of the podcast that's what that's what's funny about this and so you're going to hear me talk about the clip when the movie might already be out. And I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know what it's going to look like. But I, I love a good political thriller. And I think that, you know, it, it's exercise for the mind sort of thing. And I think the twists and turns makes us something that we could really, really love and be interested in. The Independent coming to Peacock on November the 2nd. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my guest this week talking about Gotham Knights, and that game is finally now available. I mean, I hired digging that. Make sure you're finding us on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, and at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. You can also go to downandnerdypodcast.com to find us there and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and you can listen to us on the Realm app as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine. Coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.